Welcome to the Weekly Standard Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Graham. With us on the Weekly Standard is Steve Hayes, who's at the Capitol. There's a lot going on in Washington, Steve, and we definitely want to talk about the momentous shift towards Iran with these negotiations. But uh, just as the U.S. is having to deal with an intractable enemy, uh, it appears that novice presidential candidate uh, Scott Walker has run into his intractable enemy, the media. <laughs> well, he certainly had, uh, I think, a rough go of it over the past several days in a way that I think is very interesting. You know, as somebody who's known him for a while, it's not at all hard for me to imagine him sitting there in these interviews having these questions lobbed at him, both about Rudy Giuliani's comments and then later about whether he thinks the president is a Christian. And, and to have Scott Walker say sort of like, what? What are you talking about? I don't know. Um, and re- respond in, in much the, simil- the same way that you would respond if you and I were having a conversation about race cars and I suddenly brought up vegetables. It just doesn't make sense. It doesn't fit. And it's not what he's uh, there to talk about. I think that is probably what explains his answer better than anything else. But is it a sign? You know, you know, there are a lot of people, and I don't want to name any names, but me, who are absolutely focused on winning in 2016. And that's why I'm glad the candidates, I want them out running, I want them out making mistakes, I want them learning from their mistakes. But is it a sign that Scott Walker is not, that, that even having done three elections in four years, he's not prepared for the national fights? No, I think it's too early to, to jump to any conclusion like that. I think, look, he wants to play by Wisconsin rules. Um, he, you know, I think if, if you say, Scott Walker says, I am singularly focused on reducing the deficit and implementing reforms in Wisconsin. That's what I'm going to talk about. You can bring up other issues. You can bring up social issues. You can try to pull me down with investigations. I'm talking about my issues. And it worked even with a, a largely hostile media in Wisconsin. But in national politics, you're running for president. You're not going to be able to do that. He's not going to be able to do that. So the question about whether, you know, can he, can he redirect questions? Can he set the agenda for questions and answers? I think is no. And we're seeing that just given the fallout, uh, however unfair it might be. And I think it is unfair. But uh, some would argue that a lot of the fallout, Steve, uh, that uh, Scott Walker finds himself in is residual blowback from Rudy, not stepping on a landmine, but jumping up and down on a landmine, then finding two more landmines and slamming them together. Yeah, look, I, I guess I'm not as I've, I've read your stuff. You make the best, I think, argument critical of Rudy, of anybody I've, I've seen. I guess I'm not as exercised about what he said as, as everybody else, not because I agree with it necessarily, but because I think he made a reasonable point poorly, as he suggests in his sort of cleanup op-ed today. And look, Scott Walker was asked, do you think the president loves this country? The easy thing to do is to say yes and pivot to the issues, pivot to substance. And I think moving forward, that's something Scott Walker is going to want to do, because I would argue that in this presidential field, as it at least now currently looks to be configured, Probably nobody benefits from talking about substance as much as Scott Walker does, um, with the possible exception of a Marco Rubio, if this is going to be a foreign policy election. Jeb Bush can certainly hold his own. There are good candidates who can talk about it. But if you're Scott Walker, you want to be talking about what you've done, the changes you've made, and what they've meant. You don't want to be involved in sort of uh, you know, sidebar skirmishes. And you, you uh, make the point that in Wisconsin, he was able to simply say, I'm not going to do this nonsense. Apparently, the Washington press corps is so uh, imbued with nonsense that there's no way you can fight your way out. Do you honestly not think the answer, that's a ludicrous question that has absolutely nothing to do with, uh, with public policy. Do you have a question at all related in any way to being president of the United States? That's not an acceptable answer? Which is not an acceptable answer? 
to look at the reporter and say, your question has absolutely nothing to do with being president of the United States. Do you have any public policy question? And if not, I'll move on to the next wonderful question from the next wonderful reporter. No, I think I think that's a good I think that's a good answer. And I would I look, I mean, Newt Gingrich, I think, to great effect in the 2012 Republican primaries, pushed back on the premises of questions that he was asked, both in the debates and in interviews that he gave. I think he was very effective at it. But the key comes to not sort of answering the question or answering it in a way that makes it a story beforehand. Um, you know, I bet if you asked Scott Walker today, he would say, look, I'm, you know, Yes, I think the president's a Christian, but that's stupid for you to be pushing me on that. That's not what I'm here to talk about. You know, I'm here at a, at a National Governors Association meeting talking about the ways that, you know, blah, blah, blah. You give the answer without first making news. I think that's the most effective way to handle it. I'm, I, I think that's the way he'll he'll do it uh, from this point forward. But I also do think it, it, it really sort of raises the profile of the kind of silliness of the Washington press corps where you, you, you get – obsessed over these, I think, relative trivialities. And the goal is to, to get a candidate to make news rather than actually to enlighten the people who are going to be voting for or against that candidate. You know, that's been a problem in, in Washington media for a long time. It was certainly a problem in 2012. I think Republicans better prepare themselves for this to be a problem in 2016. Well, I'm one of those uh, Republicans who'd love to see Thunderdome brought to life and have the Washington press corps put in one side and the Iranian mullahs put in the other. That's my <laughs> view. And I have to be honest with you, my money would be on the Washington press corps. Having said that, uh, it looks like something is happening with these Iranian negotiations after months of kind of no movement or the assumption that nothing's going to happen except for the White House giving away the farm. Where are we, Steve? Yeah, we're at the White House giving away the farm moment. <laughs> I think this is the, this is, this is the, the, the result of this blockbuster story uh, this morning by the Associated Press, which says, I mean, we've, we've seen hints of this coming, sort of understood that beneath the surface, this is where the negotiations were going. Fairly straightforward Associated Press story this morning saying, in effect, the Obama administration is negotiating on a sunset clause that would effectively give Iran the bomb. I think that's a huge uh, a huge problem. The president, President Obama, accepted this a long time ago. There was an article in uh, the, the Washington Post by Ruel Mark Direct and Mark Dubowitz from the Foundation for the Defense of Democracies back in August of 2014, essentially saying the president accepted this this sunset clause argument. But to see it laid out as starkly as it was in this Associated Press article, it really moves us from the point of our is the United States position basically Iran cannot have a bomb to uh, the United States position being Iran can have a bomb if it passes these, you know, clears these hurdles beforehand. But as, as we've seen with the Obama administration, hurdles that it sets up, it often helps knock down. You know, it's really distressing. Uh, one of the challenges of Obamacare is that the math on it gets worse the longer you go. So, of course, what happens? The president leaves before the math gets bad. And then you look at the uh, damage being done to the military right now with the uh, uh, both lack of funding and the change in mission. Once again, when is that really going to be felt after President Obama is gone? Is this going to be part of the kind of toxic hidden in the basement until he sneaks out of the White House legacy that Obama leaves behind a nuclear Iran? Yeah, I, I think it is. I mean, I, look, I think most people, if you ask most people in Washington, or most people who follow these issues specifically, do you think Iran is, gonna, is going to at some point be a nuclear power? Uh, the answer is yes. I think virtually everybody agrees that that's going to happen, even if you think that it's worth doing pretty much anything to prevent that eventuality. 
But it's precisely because the administration has no, shown sort of no seriousness about these negotiations, extending again and again, looking the other way when Iran violates interim agreements, um, shrugging its shoulders over bellicose um, rhetoric coming from the mullahs. I mean, the administration's, I think, never been terribly serious about preventing a nuclear Iran uh, forever. They've been quite serious about preventing a nuclear Iran while President Obama is in office. And if the, is the deal a you know this two tier deal is that going to be allowed to stand by our alleged or, or desperate I should let me change the word alleged our desperate allies who think we're their ally but now are not so sure in other words what's Saudi Arabia's reaction going to be what's Israel's reaction going to be Yeah I mean I think it's, that's a very good question that's one of several I think very interesting questions that will will now see debated more out in, the, in public another one of those questions is going to be. Uh, what's the role of Congress in all this? I mean, presumably Congress has a role in in, in approving uh, or rejecting this deal, but this Congress would never approve such a deal. The president's made quite clear that he's willing to use executive actions on everything, virtually everything, to get his way. He's Ben Rhodes said in a, in a conversation that was leaked uh, several months ago that the White House was going to do everything it could to prevent Congress, to keep Congress from being a part of these conversations. Um, the White House has, has sort of browbeaten Democratic colleagues in Congress who just wanted to have a say on sanctions, just wanted to, to trigger sanctions. So I think that the role of Congress is going to be very important in this moving forward. It's one of the reasons why this battle over DHS funding and immigration now, you know, it's not just about DHS funding and immigration, but it's about Iran. It's about the presidential power going forward. But there aren't enough principled Democrats in the Senate to set aside their disagreements on policy and say the power of the Congress must be maintained. I mean, isn't this uh, kind of the impact of the parliamentarization, if you will, of the Congress, particularly the Senate, where the senators see themselves as doing the will of their administration and they have no more regard for the inherent powers the Constitution reserves to the Congress the way, say, uh, Senator Robert Byrd did uh, you know, 10 years ago? Yeah, I think that's right. Um, you know, it's it's there. There are less of those kind of institution institutional protectors today than there were ten years ago. Certainly, than there were forty years ago. Um, but look, I mean, it, there are a number of Democrats who are on record favoring greater sanctions on Iran, who just sort of allowed that to go by the wayside in deference to the administration's either requests or threats, depending on how you look at it. And uh, you know. That will be one of the real questions. What do those Democrats in the Senate do? Where do they go? Uh, if if we're really looking at the possibility of a complete collapse on these negotiations, as I think this article makes clear that we are. One last question for you, Steve Hayes. Is there any truth to the rumor that you were actually the backup for Neil Patrick Harris at the Academy Awards and you were prepared in the wings, in your underwear, to come out on stage if needed? There's no truth to the rumor. that The, the Oscars are all about ratings. Uh, that would have sent the ratings. South. <laughs> any, uh, well, my one prediction, which was that uh, American Sniper would not win any major awards, came true. I don't think that was that much of a shock because of the politics of Hollywood, unfortunately. That is, I, think, I believe that's the only movie at the Oscars, discussed at the Oscars, or that was up for any awards that I saw. So <laughs> I didn't watch the Oscars. I don't care about the Oscars, but I liked American Sniper. And we like talking to you, Steve. Thanks so much for your time. We appreciate it. You've been listening to the Weekly Standard Podcast. Please be sure to check weeklystandard.com regularly for podcast updates. I'm your host, Michael Graham.